0: Welcome to the Elite HRV Podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance.
1: In December 2019, China's Wuhan City became the center of an outbreak of pneumonia of unknown cause. By January, Chinese scientists reported to have isolated a novel coronavirus, severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus 2, or SARS coronavirus 2, also called COVID 19, from the infected patients. And since that time, a worldwide COVID 19 pandemic has developed. And Interestingly, despite the severity of this situation and the drama for which I've just presented it, we're going to be taking this conversation in a slightly different direction than you might be used to with what you're seeing in the news or hearing people talk about around this pandemic. And joining me to help us understand the situation and what it means for us as humans and for our future beyond this virus are Phil Maffetone and Paul Larson. Guys, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Thanks Jason. Jason. Great to be here.
1: Yeah, thank you. And, um, and you know, uh, Paul and Phil have been on the show before. We've reviewed some of their research around overfat and underfat, and uh, I highly recommend that episode. It's a very popular episode. And one of the reasons why I believe it's so popular other than the subject matter is because Paul and Phil have a really interesting approach that they take to all of the information that they present. Both of these guys have a very uh, science-driven background where they look at facts and they, they like to dig into the research and produce some of the most interesting research that you might find on various subjects. But at the same time, both Paul and Phil have a very practical approach as well to how they communicate about their research and how it's, and how they apply research and scientific principles to real world situations. And so that's to me kind of it's just a, a really fascinating blend and of that scientific and academic kind of background and that practical real, real world background. And so, guys, we're. I'm really excited to talk to you about this subject today of what we're saying or what we're calling the perfect storm. Um, but I, I want to let you guys tell me what is the perfect storm and why is that the kind of phrase that we're going to be using today?
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you, Jason, for that uh, lovely intro. And yeah, I guess we're calling it the perfect storm because is because you know we've got these two pandemics that were we're witnessing in in real time and uh, there's a lot of um, you know this this is just absolutely taken the media by storm and um, yeah at least the um, the, the covid 19 pandemic has taken the media by storm but maybe something that's been forgotten and it's been forgotten I think for a, for a long time is the is the overfat pandemic that Phil and I introduced uh, on your podcast a long while back, and we've written a number of different papers. So maybe we'll just sort of start by, I think everyone is pretty familiar with the COVID-19 pandemic that is um, that that is rapidly evolving uh, and changes on a daily basis when you follow the media. But maybe people are a little bit less uh, aware of the overfat pandemic that um, that Phil and I have spoken on. and. and and i think uh, in i'll let phil you know explain it sort of further he's he's really the expert in this but in general we're talking about uh you know people are usually more 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 familiar with the terms obese and overweight but overfat is a little bit more of the hidden fat that we don't always appreciate uh, and that's really because when we look at the definitions of overweight and obese they're they're taken with this whole um, body mass index measure you know your um your your basic uh your your um you know your height and and your weight and then run a formula through that and it just it absolutely misses all the important uh visceral fat that that's stored and and this is the this is indeed the the problem and this is really um you know Ill, um, it's highlighting uh, a dysregulation of the fat and an accumulation of the fat in um, in the wrong places. Ultimately, that's leading to a, a, an unhealthy individual. And this is this is hidden and this is rampant throughout the world. And it's probably you know there's no other place in the world that it's more of an issue than in in the in North America, mostly in the United States. And we're, we're going to, I think that's just really why the two worlds are colliding is because, um, you know, the two, um, the perfect storm is happening is because we're seeing these two pandemics hit, we're seeing the, the COVID virus, um, you know, evolve and, and, uh, you know, um, transmit around the world and now it's hitting the States pretty hard. And yeah, we're, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting scenario that, uh, that we'll keep an eye on for the next little while. Um, because there's a lot of unhealthiness and, uh, or a lot of, um, individuals that are not going to be able to put up a good defense against this virus. Uh, healthy individuals can, but, um, but yeah, I think that, that's, that's sort of how I see things. And uh, maybe Phil can expand a little bit on what I've, what I've, sort of begun. What
2: I want to emphasize um, is that the, the the other aspect of the perfect storm is that these two pandemics are very much related. The fact that um, they both exist at the same time and the vulnerability of people to uh, having a viral infection uh, increases when they're uh, body fat is high, and um, that's really the uh, the important point. And <clears throat> it's it's a it's a relatively new idea. It's a it's a very new idea, actually. Um, although uh, in two thousand nine, by two thousand ten, I think uh, after the H one N one pandemic. Uh, it was discovered that the people who were were uh, who had an independent. Uh, it, it was discovered that obesity was an independent risk factor for being infected, and the reality is that today we know that it's not obesity because if we only use obesity, and like Paul said, we're you know we're measuring obesity with BMI and we're missing a lot of people who have excess body fat um, who are not obese. Uh, What what we have is, uh, you know, in the U.S., for example, it's almost double the amount of overfat people compared to the number of obese people. So there's a lot more people with excess body fat. And overfat is defined as um, excess body fat that impairs – health and in particular it pairs impairs the immune system and um, and we can we can talk about uh, body fat percentage what's what's uh, under fat what's normal fat what's over fat if you want or we can talk about how people um, can can uh, rule out or in over fat at home which is an easy test um, but the 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 perfect storm again is is that coming together of two pandemics, this acute uh, viral pandemic, uh, and we've had we've had a number of these um, and in in recent memory there there were uh, there were some that were actually worse uh, than we're seeing at least we're seeing so far. Um, but then we're seeing uh, you know that that combining with and being affected by Uh, this over fat pandemic, which um, has been evolving for 40 to 50 years.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great, guys. I appreciate that. And, you know, I think that in many cases with health and fitness and well-being, um, there's always a chance to zoom out a little bit on any topic and say, how does this fit into the bigger picture, right? And uh, sometimes uh, acute situations really get the most attention, and you know, rightfully so. That's sort of built into our psyche as uh, a part of evolution, in a sense. Um, but uh, in our modern society, some of those chronic conditions actually are the biggest problems and get sometimes uh, less attention than deserved, and. But we can take this opportunity for this, and I don't, I don't want to use that word lightly, opportunity, because I don't think of uh, coronavirus as just an opportunity. It's clearly a, a tragic situation. And, um, but when I say opportunity, I want to use words that you all used before we hit record, which is an opportunity to learn, right? And so it's, it's focused everyone's attention onto the subject and uh, we have an opportunity to learn from it. And, you know, one of the things that right, you know, before we hit record, we were talking about how we have different interpretations of the uh, severity and um, potential for this to affect lots of people. And I'm talking about coronavirus uh, here, but one thing that we all agreed upon is that it's causing a lot of stress uh, it's causing a lot of potentially anxiety for people or hysteria, depending on how information is presented. Um, and it's also um, being exacerbated by things that are already present, which is people's compromised immune systems, people being chronically inflamed, people being already stressed before a pandemic, um, people being underfat and over fat. And so, this perfect storm concept seems to me like it really wraps all of that together. And the two big pandemics that we're talking about today being coronavirus and the um, body fat situation, over fat and under fat uh, situation, which is just actually probably, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but is just one of the primary manifestations of uh, kind of a chronic inflammatory uh, lifestyle that we lead, chronically inflamed lifestyle. Um, but yeah, F- Phil, you alluded to um, being able to talk about a little bit of how how does this subject relate? How do these two storms actually relate? In the sense that okay. Um, So, for example, I've heard we just interviewed Dr. Patrick Hannaway on our podcast, and that episode will be coming out right before this one. Um, And so, there will be a little bit of background on uh, some some things for this. So, it'll be setting the stage nicely. But he mentioned in that episode that people who are overweight have uh, something like a three times greater uh, chance of having a, a negative outcome from contracting a virus, uh, like COVID-19. And so, uh, you know, what's going on there? What, what are, what's the relationship between overfat, underfat and, uh, viral situations?
2: Well, the, the, the bottom line is that when our body fat content is too high, when we have Excessive body fat. When we're over fat, um, our our fat cells, which are metabolically active, uh, you know, we need a certain amount of body fat to be healthy. And if we go under that or over that, then those fat cells no longer function well uh, uh, metabolically, and they're very active tissues that that we use every day, uh, especially for the immune system. And um, uh, the, immune, the, the, the fat cells that we have are, are um, populated by uh, T-cells and macrophages and a number of other immune cells that we use from day to day, from moment to moment, literally, to, um, to take care of uh, the viruses and bacteria and other uh, potentially harmful uh, microbes, or germs, if we want to call them that, that we're exposed to every day, literally um, all day long. We're exposed to these germs. And luckily, we have an immune system that fights those germs and protects us. And we never know that that's going on. Mm-hmm. Well, can I, can we, I, can oops, I interrupt sure. there, Phil? Sure well the uh, I mean, this is
0: just one of the lines that uh, absolutely fascinated uh, me when when i read this one in our in our papers we're we're bombarded by a trillion new particles um, in every day and this is like this is the, the 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 volume of these things that are hitting us endogenous and exogenous viral agents um, uh, through that paper that was just you know it's it's the the immune system is just absolutely cooking in us to um, ultimately allow us to go you know work through our this environment here and and it's it's interrelating with that viral environment environment all the time
2: so it's it's yeah you're, it's, it's you're right and and that's a good point the numbers uh, people like numbers we're numbers people so we like to um, reference those things but uh, one thing that we're learning or we will relearn from this current pandemic is is how much we or at least we should learn, is how much that we appreciate that our immune system is the product of an ancient evolutionary strategy um, that functions this way. It detects, it destroys you know viruses and and bacteria. And um, even if we do get sick, even if those, uh, germs get by that first immune defense mechanism, and we do get sick. It's usually not life-threatening. Uh, it's probably uncomfortable, um, but we also benefit from that in that we uh, develop natural immunity. And natural immunity <clears throat> is something that humans, uh, healthy humans, develop um, quite easily uh, in in the you know, year in and year out, against all of these uh, viruses and bacteria that we are um, up against, and and in fact, you know, it's I read somewhere uh, in, in terms of, of of being in the midst of a pandemic that it takes about fifty percent of the population to develop natural immunity to the point where it will. Uh, Physical. And the and the pandemic. Yeah, the antibodies, right? Correct. Correct. And so, you know, as much as they talk about a vaccine, uh, that's always the hype because, you know, people are trying to get money diverted to research and um but the fact is we we don't have a vaccine. We're probably not gonna have a vaccine. We don't have one for the seasonal flu yet. Why would we have one now? Um and, and a vaccine is artificial immunity. We have vaccines against measles, for example, and all those childhood diseases. Um, and, and the fact is, we also have natural immunity, in most cases, against all of that stuff. And if you want to know if you or your child has immunity against something, natural immunity, uh, it's a simple blood test in, in most cases. Um, But what's interesting is the vaccines don't work as well when we're over fat. That's another interesting thing that uh, needs to be understood. So it really emphasizes um, how significant being over fat is because it impairs uh, the immune system. It it renders our fat cells um, uh, dysfunctional, uh, not just the fat cell. Um, a, a condition they they sometimes they still call it sick uh, fat cell syndrome or something like that. But these fat cells are no longer um, as viable as they are when when our body fat levels are normal. But that excess body fat impairs um, uh, T cell function and mac- macrophage function uh, and all the other immune components of our of our fat cells. So we we no longer can respond to these invading uh, viruses uh, and bacteria when we have overfed. That's, that's, you know, that's the perfect storm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, I got a chance to see a little behind the scenes at some of your uh, the data and, and um, figures from your paper. And so I'm looking at one right now that uh, if all this gets published, we'll just go ahead and link to it. Um, so that folks can see what I'm looking at, but the visuals really make it apparent about the difference between uh, healthy adipose tissue and its relationship with T-cells and macrophage function. And, you know, it's, you know, one thing too that I just want to highlight is that for folks who haven't already listened to the first episode with Paul and Phil, where we kind of defined what is underfat, what is over fat, You know, Phil uh, has given you a a brief overview of it, but the percentages of the population are pretty astounding. And, you know, we have, um, according to these definitions, which also correlate with um, normal fat people having what you would consider no chronic inflammation, improved immunity, reduced risk of cardio disease, and reduced risk of infection. That represents only about 12% of the global population. And so, the underfat and overfat group together represent 88% of the global uh, population. So, when we're talking about a pandemic, this is 88% of the entire globe. And if you're listening to this podcast, and let's say that elite HRV uh, listeners are you know, twice as likely to be normal fat. Let's say that would that would still mean that three quarters of all the people listening to this podcast are compromised in some way, uh, even if we were twice as <laughs> high as the normal percentages of normal fat. So um, that
2: yeah, Paul, uh, Jason, you you make a, you make a, a good point, and it brings up uh, the issue um, about a new a newer paper that. Paul and I uh, uh, had published this year, um, called "Revising the Global Overfat Pandemic." Our our first paper talked about uh, the the notion that up to seventy six percent of the world could be overfat, and you know I I had been using the 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 number seventy five percent for for a, a number of years and um and people would often say well, that that seems like a high number and um when i said well we we we've kind of gotten some numbers together and gotten some good references and uh we're still at that you know we're actually at 76% and people would say nah, you know that's kind of a high number you might want to back off on that a little bit <laughs> well when that paper came out um it it, it was it was actually while that paper was in press right before it came out i saw some new data from the cdc on us on the us population and i realized that that the numbers pertaining to the us were really low because these new numbers were showing it to be really high and in fact we did a paper on the overfat pandemic in the U.S. and show that 91% of Americans were overfat. Um, but that process continued with new studies, and gradually uh, there were more and more papers that were saying, hey, that 76% number is, is too low. And so that resulted in our, our new paper, which came out a, a just a few weeks ago, Called revising the the global overfat pandemic, where we uh, we showed that you know over we, we didn't give a number because because um, uh, we didn't, but what we what we said and what the purpose of the paper was was to show that that seventy six percent was too conservative, and then the numbers the number of overfat people was significantly higher. Um, because there there were new studies that showed some data that we didn't have uh, back when we wrote that original paper, and so um, you'll see you'll see these revised uh, numbers coming out in, in this um, very new paper, which hopefully will be published shortly. Um, but it's you know we're we're well into the '80s in terms of the overfat pandemic worldwide, and um, it's a very serious problem.
0: Hey, Phil, I'm just thinking here, as you're speaking, maybe we should uh, like just define how a person, because someone's probably listening to this and say, like, oh, am I, am I under fat or am I over fat? How am I, how, as
2: a listener, how am I going to define whether I'm over fat or not? Mm-hmm. Well, we can look at the, the percentages, but the fact is most people will never have their body fat percentage properly evaluated, and hardly anybody uh, will... Not have an ongoing assessment uh, like a DEXA scan to monitor their their body fat level. So percent body fat is just not practical. We do know that uh, people that uh, uh, women, for example, above twenty eight percent, and men above fourteen percent body fat are would be considered over fat. Um, but a better way to evaluate it, a more practical way, a very scientific reproducible way is to measure your waist. Um, measure your waist uh, at the level of the umbilicus, the, the belly button. Mm-hmm. And um, and that that measure should be less than half your height, which you should also measure. People don't realize that their height is not what they think it is. And 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 if you really want to be a little less overfat, you can measure it in the morning because we're actually taller in the morning. Um, <laughs> so, um, you know, the waist to height ratio is a very effective measure um, that we can do, say, once a month uh, when, we, when we say, gee, I've got to reduce my body fat and therefore I'm going to make these lifestyle changes. And then once a month, uh, as opposed to being obsessed and doing it every day once a month measuring that uh waist at the at the belly button and uh seeing that uh number get smaller but the the waist should be less than half the height to to be a uh to be normal
1: and, and that's interesting and that's a nice it's a nice to have a sort of a heuristic uh way to estimate and you know I think um, Putting that into context a little, or adding a little color to it from my perspective would be: uh, Do you think that it, if you're, if you feel like you're close in the ranges to being "quote unquote" normal fat, and when we say normal, it's not what you see around you. It's um, some picture what you would think like a, a fairly lean, healthy person would look like, and that's what we're considering normal. Um, And if you're close to that range, that obsessing over the exact, you know, centimeters or inches every day is probably going to have more of a negative impact than just trying to kind of keep tabs on it from month to month basis. If it seems to only be moving like a tiny amount, like half a centimeter, that's probably within the margin of error for your measurement. So probably not anything to worry about, but... Um, and, and people
2: get people get you know down to the millimeter level. Uh, and we learned we learned about this obsession from the bathroom scale. People get on the scale uh, every morning, sometimes several times a day, and their their mood is set by what that number says, even though uh, our body weight uh, you know is, is not a fixed amount. it's a range of numbers based on our um, metabolic state our hydration and so forth. And, uh, not only that, but the weight, the number that we're looking at is not related to fat. So, um, you know, please throw your scales away. They're not accurate to begin with most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you, you're right. This, this, you know, this obsession, you know, Oh, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm not, half my height. Uh, let me measure that again. And then you, you know, you suck in your gut and you, you really tighten that tape measure and, <laughs> um, and you, you use the, the, the height on your driver's license, even if it's, uh, you know, uh, rounded up. And, um, so yeah, it, it's, it's, a it, you know, that obsession and society has had a weight and fat obsession for, for for certainly decades um and actually more like centuries. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Let let me ask another question Phil.
0: The um I want like I actually want to understand why is it that the fat um like why are we measuring it at the waist? What what is going on in a fat dysregulation sort of situation where it's uh you know that fat is accumulating uh, viscer- viscerally and, and what like we have to be measuring this for a reason, right? Like the, we have to be saying that uh, measurement around the waist at the umbilicus is the superior method because we're measuring what matters. Why, what's going on there? And uh, can you elaborate a little bit further on what, what happens when we're having too much sugar, et cetera?
2: Yeah, there, there's a couple of issues. One is sort of the history of um, of measuring the body to, to come up with, some useful bit of information in this case um, uh, distinguishing between normal fat and over fat for example in the history of it um, i I was involved with uh, as a clinician for years you know in the beginning um, we measured certain things and then science said oh hey here's a better way to do it and so we measured other things you know the waist to hip ratio was a um, you know the latest and greatest. Uh, uh, back uh, you know 10 15 years ago or going back maybe even 20 years um, and then it was it was shown that people who were measurably had had healthy body fat ranges that um, in certain conditions or certain states of fitness could have a um, Uh, a high waist to hip ratio. So they said, well, let's, let's look at some other ways. And then the, 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 the level of the umbilicus uh, was tested uh, and more and more gradually correlated well scientifically. So that's sort of why we use it. But the, the, the abdomen is unique in that Uh, Many people who are normal weight and non-obese and actually look, if you look at them uh, fully clothed, you wouldn't think they were over fat, but they actually have a lot of fat in their abdomen. And that happens to be the worst place to store fat because it affects the whole body, including the immune system. Um, It also reflects the fat around the heart which we can't see from the outside um and so abdominal fat is is the most serious but the scientific you know the the numbers uh uh, when we look at um the research uh have shown that 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 waist measurement correlates better uh to the measured uh body fat percentages in in studies so so that's why we use it and the abdominal fat um, tends to pile up because um, because of sugar, uh, but sugar will, will increase body fat all over uh, uh, quite easily. But sugar um, induces a uh, metabolic stress. And stress, any type of stress, physical stress, uh, an athlete who overtrains is a significant physical stress, and that could start adding uh, excess fat to the abdomen, um, mental, emotional stress, the same thing. We see those people, um, uh, who many times are not, uh, overweight or, or obese have excess abdominal fat. And, um, and so stress plays a, plays an important role in depositing fat in that, in that part of the body.
1: And Phil, I'm glad you brought that up because, Part of me has been something was itching in the back of my head a little bit during this whole conversation so far, and that's that when we talk about collisions of pandemics and the perfect storm and all and all of these concepts, there's obviously you know a lot of stress that kind of that can can bring up in somebody listening to this, or and we even talked about before we hit record that uh, you know the the stress of this situation. You know, to share a little bit more about that too, um, as a side note, is that Elite HRV, we've been looking at how can we help people with this acute situation. And as many businesses and and other uh, people and organizations are trying to do. And the thing that we've seen the the most is that people are just stressed about it. And that's the thing that we can actually probably help with the most certainty. Um, You know, HRV being, of course, Uh, acutely responsive to that. But otherwise, in general, um, that's sort of an underlying theme to all of these chronic conditions and all of these situations is that, you know, inflammation and stress kind of go hand in hand a bit. And inflammation in the body tends to activate some, uh, you know, excessive inflammation or chronic inflammation is what I'm talking about. Obviously, don't want to demonize inflammation in general, but um, excessive chronic inflammation leads to this kind of accumulation of belly fat in many cases, or abdominal fat leads to uh, compromised immune function, uh, increased risk of chronic disease and infection, all of the things that we're talking about here. And when we Talk about stress and all these other things that you know. I can't help myself, and I know you guys kind of probably are feel the same way. Is um, it's not a reason, or it it is a reason to be stressed, but it's not it's not something that you want to think about as an emergency that you're going to solve today, right? It's something that taking a a long term view of is actually going to end up giving you the best results and outcomes. And doing small things on a regular basis actually ends up adding up to a bigger uh, impact to your situation than trying to have some type of dramatic and acute change overnight or a surgery or a pill or um, you know, some type of binge diet or extreme change like that. Um, And so, like, you know, from my experience, uh, focusing on more whole foods, uh, higher quality food sources, reducing those uh, kind of sugary, high glycemic comfort foods and um, trying to get more diversity into your diet. Uh, Diversity is a word, by the way, if I'm going to continue on this uh, (laughs) soapbox a little bit here. Mm -hmm is a word that uh, I think everyone should really think hard about. And it's a word that really describes a positive direction in almost everything in life um, is more diversity, diversity of movement, diversity of interactions, diversity of food sources. Um, And, and then trying to keep that stress in check while we're all, um, you know, I said before we hit record, We're we feel grateful because we still have meaningful work to do and and a source of income and things like that. When people are having that stress on their plate right now, there's uh, but we still are dealing with uh, elevated stress by having to, uh, you know, we have multiple children in the house all day while we're trying to get work done and do things like this and um, be healthy as best we can, go outside, um, but. In these stressful times, we often turn to some of those comforts. And, you know, I find myself craving more sugary foods, craving more high glycemic foods, more comfort foods, and also, um, you know, slacking off on my exercise, so to speak, which actually is probably not a a good way to frame it because it sounds negative. uh, But I'm less inclined to kind of jump out of bed and be ready to go exercise. Um, And so, things that I've been trying to incorporate are, you know, being mindful of it for one, and being aware of my breath uh, as frequently as I can, because I'm the type of person that holds my breath or breathes more shallowly when I'm under stress, and just being taking the moment to kind of exhale some of that tension away. And then really trying to go outside, Um, we're just coming out of winter here in the Northern Hemisphere. And, um, you know, I I supplement vitamin D and some other things like that during the winter, especially during these stressful periods. But getting sunlight on my skin is like, (laughs) I've become so acutely aware of how much better I feel when I get a little sunlight on my skin. And that's Jason, something... you
2: you you've touched on so many things. We're, we're going to be here all day, which will be wonderful, actually. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> um, you're right. You're right. Let's, we, bring it back you're, around. <laughs> you're, you're absolutely right. These are very important issues, and, and stress being uh, a key one. But I want to I want to go back before we get too far away from it, and just um, just touch on this inflammation thing. You mentioned that uh, overfat. Uh, is associated with chronic inflammation, which it is. Uh, but another example of the perfect storm is when this overfat, with its with its chronic inflammation, crashes into another pandemic, uh, COVID-19 at the moment. And what happens is there's acute infection in, in people who get sick. Um, so when we're when we're uh, when we're infected by a virus the the virus uh, produces acute inflammation which is very significant now you add that to the which is a significant infl- inflammation by itself you add that to the chronic inflammation of an overfat body and there's another example of, of the perfect storm and um, it's really uh, you know it, it's as as a uh, you know and I, and this has been pulled out from a, a, another scientific uh, publication, death through virally driven hyperinflammation. It's a very scary thing and a great example of that that perfect storm.
0: Yeah, and we're seeing the data already on that too. Um, lots of different examples. So, you know, while this is, this is a novel vi- uh, coronavirus and it's just appeared. Uh, you know, even the, the data from the hospitals in in China, um, there's data from the U.K. hospitals and now coming out of the U.S. as well. We're even seeing the per capita rate of, of deaths uh, increasing in those populations that are uh, more over fat than others. So just taking, for example, um, you know, New Orleans deaths. Um, are you know twofold greater than those in New York, and that's just you know at the time of recording, that's that's what we're seeing right now. And um, so yeah, there's a bit. It's it's a very sad situation for the for the overfat individual, and I think it really kind of comes back to you know what Jason was talking about with what are the things that we can do. Um, how can we be to prevent this maybe in in the future? And there's um, you know. I've, I've, Another thing reflecting on some of Jason's uh, comments there from British Columbia, we're seeing like the, the alcohol sales are up 30%. So as people retreat to their homes and they're looking for that comfort, their you know, their alcohol um, consumption is obviously going up as well. So searching for that, um, you know, that junk food is,
2: is is junk food sales are, are up. People are, you know, when you go to the store and see empty shelves a lot of it is is from the junk food and they you know the restaurants that are open now are the ones that are drive-through junk food restaurants mostly and so you're you're seeing that and um that's uh an unfortunate stress additional stress as well mm-hmm.
0: yeah so we're, we're you know we're obviously we're listening you know the listener is more likely to be very health conscious um, but it's yeah it's you never want to there's never a better time to really take care of it kind of moving forward. And we really need a shift in you know, government and, uh, you, know, you know, mindset in the, in the, in the population to change, you know, turn this, uh, turn this ship around ultimately, because it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a bleak situation when you take the Google, Google earth view of it all.
2: Yeah. And it's, it's, Um, it's, it's a question of what are we as a society learning, or in most cases, relearning, we're not going to learn a lot of new things, except, uh, you know, this particular virus is new. And so we're learning about it. We're going to gather a lot of data in the next six months or, or longer about uh this pandemic and so we'll we'll learn some new things about how this particular pandemic is acting compared to ones in the past they all act a little bit different um and and that's important but the question of what are we learning what are we relearning from this pandemic in terms of how can we move forward and really how can we prevent these pandemics from happening in the future. Um, we've been doing a pretty good job of reducing the severity of these pandemics uh, because they've gotten less and less severe over over time, going back to 1918. Um, but what you know, what what are we really relearning? Can we look at, like you said, Paul, that that big picture Google view? Um, and say, hey, this is this is causing that, and so therefore we should work on on this, this being the overfat pandemic, which is still a, a you know relatively hidden pandemic. Um, uh, and it's not just connected with the risk of infectious disease, but the risk of the real Significant risk. It's actually a cause of, of most chronic diseases, which most people will die from, and and the source of uh, significant healthcare costs. Uh, and and can we can we uh, keep spending that money on these rapidly rising? rates of chronic disease, especially in, in developing countries, they, they can't afford a whole lot. And they're being faced with huge uh, numbers of uh, diabetes and hypertension, heart disease and so forth. Uh, can we, can we offset that? And we're, you know, we're, we're seeing th- this thing comes up every now and then, and it's coming up more and more frequently. And it's even difficult to talk about. It comes up during a pandemic because the question of triage comes up. Triage is when you're confronted, you know, think of your, think of yourself in a war zone and you've got wounded people coming in. You only have a certain number of uh, of of healthcare practitioners and a certain amount of supplies to treat these people. Well, if the number of incoming wounded exceeds what you can do you've got to say, okay, this patient we're going to set aside because that patient we can probably save more easily with less uh, personnel, less equipment, less medicines, etc. And we've seen uh, reports of this going on today in hospitals. Um, but I could tell you that in the last few years, these discussions have come up in relation to chronic illness and how are we going to afford to treat all the people who need it throughout the world? Uh, Not just in the coming years, but right now uh, has has that healthcare system been uh, depleted already or are we on the verge of being depleted and therefore have to say, Hey, we've got to, you know, we've got to do triage here because we can't afford to treat everybody, and it's a it's a scary thing. And so this uh, this this provides a, a, a lesson uh, where we're relearning the fact that most of the illness, most of the deaths from the chronic diseases, infectious diseases, are preventable. And by preventable, we mean that we can prevent them with a healthier lifestyle. And that concept is not new. It's not uh, something that we, we have to debate. It's not something that we can say, well, we don't know that for sure. We do know that for sure. I mean, some of the most conservative organizations that state um, these facts, um, like the CDC you know, lists, uh, heart disease, uh, Alzheimer's, hypertension, diabetes, cancer, most of those uh, are considered preventable diseases. So, you know, talking about it is one thing, but doing something about it is a, another thing. And on a on a, uh, a on one level, uh, the 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 powers that be in our society, the healthcare organizations, and and the politicians, unfortunately. Um, have to say, yes, we're going to do something about this. Um, and, and so far, it just, it really hasn't happened adequately because those disease rates are are increasing, as is the overfat rate. But fortunately, um, we can decide as individuals to say, okay, I'm going to do something about this. And I'm going to start today. I'm going to start right now. And we can. We can respond, our bodies can respond to a change in lifestyle uh, virtually right away, immediately. You know, if we stop eating sugar after two meals, we've changed our metabolism in a measurable way uh, that's heading in the right direction. So we're not talking about, you know, waiting a long time uh, to lose weight or, or, um, Get more fit or whatever we're we're talking about um almost an in instant gratification we decide we're gonna make a positive lifestyle change and we make it and you know we we are suddenly working better um, uh from from the start
1: and that's an interesting way to frame it Phil is that it's not about you know if you're if you're listening to this and you know that you're in that kind of overfat category, that's something that's not gonna change overnight. And it's something that is gonna be either, you know, moving in a positive direction, a negative direction, or staying relatively the same. And those states actually might be more important than the actual kind of um, absolute state, so to speak. So what I mean by that is, if you're moving in a positive direction, like Phil mentioned, you know, cutting out some of the sugars, seeing a little bit of improvement on a monthly basis in that waist to height ratio, um, and things like that, uh, then that actually might be just as powerful or, or the most important thing for you to focus on, so to speak. So if you have things like measuring your HRV on a regular basis and measuring that waist, circumference around the belly button. those are kind of simple tools that can help almost gamify it. I would try to make it a, a little bit of a game, a positive seeming game to say how how can I move these sort of in a positive direction through um, you know natural means as much as possible and um, that might be what you the best tool that you have in your toolkit today to combat not only the acute situation, but also put yourself in a demographic that is at lower risk over time. And you as an individual and all of us as individuals are what make up the cumulative statistics, right? So, um, you know, on the one hand, we have pretty dramatic statistics, like you guys have mentioned that in your paper, 94% of hospitalized patients who died from COVID-19 so far, have had an underlying chronic condition. And those conditions, that's 94%, including diabetes, cardiovascular disease, asthma, emphysema, hypertension, cancer, those types of things. And that most of those conditions are associated with excess body fat. So, there's, it's, it's clearly very dire situation acutely and that that we often try to think about how will, how will the medical system or the, the system respond, right? But the things that you do today, Phil, that was so powerful when you said that your metabolism changes in a matter of two meals when you cut out sugar, mm-hmm. is that there's things that you can literally do today that actually don't even cost anything because eating less sugar actually should cost you less over time. Um, It
2: will, without a doubt. Healthy food is is actually no more expensive than junk food.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. and it's, you know, there's definitely specific scenarios where there's accessibility and education uh, around those things that need to be bolstered. But for I would almost guarantee everyone listening to this podcast has the choice. Um, And so... um, things you can do today, basically, is what we're getting at here. And then the lesson that we can take with us going forward, because, you know, this one thing as humans is that we are, uh, people debate whether or not we're optimistic or pessimistic by nature, but almost everyone you talk to says, well, what's life going to look like after the coronavirus, right? And so, to me, that's pretty optimistic, basically, that we all feel like this isn't gonna wipe us off the face of the earth, and that there will be a time after coronavirus. And I, I agree with that. And what can we learn from the situation that carries forward with us so that we don't end up in this situation again? And um, so I think you guys have highlighted all of that here today. Obviously, yeah. it's a deep subject.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure if it's a really good spot maybe here to write, um, you know, just to to read out the conclusion in this in this manuscript that's coming out. And um, it's uh, David S. Jones writes in the New, New England Journal of Medicine that while some experts warn that half of the world's population could be in- infected by the end of 2020, resulting in more than 100 million deaths, such a perfect storm is exceedingly rare. However... Um, it's regrettably one that that could be possible. Um, But perhaps a more important lesson for the world may be that we control much of our health and that prevention of infections through a healthy immune system is not unlike chronic disease and physical impairment, strongly associated with a healthy lifestyle.
1: Yeah, that's a powerful message. And, you know, Phil, I like that. before we hit record, you mentioned that... He wrote that, uh, Phil.
2: <laughs> oh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's also, uh It's also nice to, you know, in this sensitive time to frame the ends of the bookends, so to speak, of the possibilities. Um, and Phil, you did that nicely before we hit record, you know, taking your words again. It could be it could be in the hundreds of thousands or up to a hundred million. So it's a, it's a pretty wide spectrum that we're still learning about. But the, but the point that Paul's making here by reading this is the fact that it is possible for us to achieve that dire of a situation is a learning opportunity in and of itself, right? And so because at least half of that equation if not more is under our control mm-hmm. and so right
2: right and, and I think you know dr jones um, said something interesting which is that uh, some experts warn half the world's population could be infected by the end of 2020 I think if if the word exposed was in there instead of in infected, mm. it would Better. be much more realistic because it is possible that half the world will be exposed by the end of 2020, but that's how we get rid of pandemics, and that's how our immune systems mm-hmm. work. That's
0: a positive. Really? Half, half the world will have antibodies for, yeah. for COVID. Uh,
2: and so so what's going to happen On this next cycle, is this COVID-19 not too much different than the seasonal flu, which may or may not be the case? But if it is, then next year, just like the seasonal flu, people who are um, exposed, who have natural immunity, will less likely get sick. And those who don't have that good functioning immune system will be more likely to get sick.
1: That's huge. Well, and I think this is a, you know a, a great way to tie a bow around this subject and give people a lot to think about. Um, when I interviewed or when Vivek, uh, my colleague, interviewed Dr. Patrick Hanaway, he gave some acute tips on supplementations and things that people can do to improve their situation, um, lifestyle first, but then there's a few little things you can do to boost your immunity. And we talked about that. And this really kind of gives us the end to end view of how lifestyle relates to how chronic lifestyle conditions and uh, related conditions relate to the possibility of acute situations, highlighted most specifically by this perfect storm of COVID 19, which is an acute situation, even though it feels, <laughs> it feels, like it may last forever for some people who are stuck at home. Mm-hmm. Um, but is there anything, uh, any uh, reading that we can point people towards or any thoughts that we want to point people towards other than, of course, we're going to highlight your paper, uh, The Perfect Storm, which we'll we'll link to and things like that. But where where should people be directing their attention in y'all's opinion?
0: Well, I think both, both Phil and I will have, um, blog posts on each other's, um, uh, re- you know, related businesses. So philmaftone.com, Phil will have, uh, you know, uh, maybe a more simpler version of the, of the paper on there. There's going to be press releases. Uh, we're writing a blog right now for hit science. Um, the other thing I really want to highlight too, for listeners is we're also making Phil's, um, uh, lecture actually on, uh, on nutrition and wellness and health that's available on hit science where he's, you know, he's written chapter seven for us in the science and application of high intensity interval training, because, uh, as many people, uh, that follow me know, I'm, I'm, uh, just a real advocate of, of just the importance of, of having healthy athletes. All my, you know, that's, that's when athletes come to me, that's the main thing that I'm, that I'm working on them with. So what we've done is we've, we just want that, uh, that information available to everyone everyone can take Phil's course for free. Um, so yeah, you come, uh, come to the hit science website, the coupon code is going to be perfect storm and, and yeah, we want, we want everyone, um, to be able to, ex, um, access that information. Um, I don't know anything else further from you, Phil on that.
2: I, I think that, you know, we're, we're both writing, um, sort of a, a, you know, general audience type of, uh, posts and articles and so forth, and those are important, but uh, please, um, m- many people don't look at the scientific publications, but um, I am, uh, when, I, when I write um, things from a scientific standpoint, I try and be simple. I learned many years ago that, you know, a- a after, after teaching doctors uh, for a few years, Um, that I just needed to simplify things more and more uh, for various reasons. And so I've I've maintained that. I I try not to get too scientific in my jargon. um, And as a result, um, the the average person uh, can look at our scientific papers and get a lot out of them. Uh, And I think that's a a very important thing to do as well.
1: Thank thank you for highlighting that, Phil, because... Um, I have to say that I, I do read a lot of scientific papers, and um, I read a lot of blog posts, and I read a lot of different things, and um, it's a rare moment when you find um, a piece of content that has simplified a message but not dumbed it down, and that actually I, I also stole from Dr. Patrick Hanaway's podcast, but he said it nicely, and I'm stealing it for here is that there's a difference between simplifying a message and dumbing it down. And when I read your papers, I feel like I understand everything that you're saying, and uh, but not because it has been fluffed up or dumbed down. It's really full of, of just great information. And so, um, it's a great, you know, I, oftentimes I don't point People directly to scientific literature, I'll find some type of high quality review first and then let them get their feet that way because it's a little bit daunting to jump into a pool of jargon. But I highly recommend people trying to pick up this paper and, uh, and you know, you'll find links to it at philmaffetone.com, I'm sure, or you'll find mention of it at least. And also uh, hit science, which is H I I T science.com, like Paul mentioned and we're honored to be uh, able to help host that course that Paul was talking about through the elite academy so if you're already plugged in there you'll you'll see Phil's course in there as well Um, and And Jason
2: excuse me what just before you end I I I want to first of all thanks for your comment but I want to emphasize that Paul is very helpful in in putting these papers together and making uh, making them um, more understandable, uh, not just for the scientists and the clinician, but um, really kind of for that uh, for that person who's looking for health information who may not be a clinician or a scientist.
1: Mm, that's Thanks, Dr. No. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, no, it's. Well, I'm, I'm honored anyways to have both of you guys uh, as people that I get to interact with and share your knowledge with folks. So, um, this is definitely a serious time and, you know, despite varying opinions on how severe it's going to end up being, it is definitely agreed upon that it's a severe time that we're in and that this is affecting everyone probably Almost everyone on the globe has experienced some change in their life because of this and many have experienced dramatic change. And so um, but it's a time that we can also learn as we've just learned here for the past hour. So thank you guys for all of your time and really appreciate the, your work and I know that this has really only been unfolding for a couple of months so also applaud you at turning this stuff around so quickly and pulling all of this data together into this paper so quickly. So thank you for that as well. (laughs) Thank you, Jason. It has, it has been a a Phil and I's own
0: um, perfect storm. We've been, (laughs) we were, yeah, it was uh, some, some late nights and early mornings uh, to get, to get it out. But yeah, we're really, really happy to put it out there and hopefully people Um, you know take take some of it on board and um, and can use it and and jason thank you very much for all you do as well to get the word out for us
2: yeah thanks jason and paul always always fun to 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 be with you on a conversation likewise phil all
1: right thanks guys the elite academy now offers in-depth online courses on multiple subjects so if you're enjoying the content of this podcast, but you're looking for a more structured and logical progression, looking at the science and application of these subjects, check out the Elite Academy at EliteHRV.com Academy.